the first is this Friday is the Weymouth Students All-Nighter, this Friday, February 17th. Um, so that will be a time for 6th through 12th graders to come here and uh, stay up all night and be crazy and, uh, you know, play some games, do some devotionals, trash my office. Just kidding, don't do that. Um, uh, but that's going to be a fun time. So if you haven't signed up for that yet, there's still time this week to go onto our website, to go into the Church Center app. You can sign up online, uh, invite some friends, tell them to sign up online. It's, it's a $15 charge just for dinner. We're going to meet at the Foundry Social at 6 here in Medina. And then from there, we'll drive uh, back to the church and spend the rest of the time at the church. And then uh, we'll eat breakfast together. We'll actually be, uh, we're planning on making breakfast for the men's breakfast Saturday morning. So we'll see how that goes. Uh, a bunch of students staying up all night and making breakfast or whatever for, for the guys Saturday morning. That'll be interesting. Um, we'll do that. And then the students can be picked up at 8 on Saturday from here. So that's this Friday, uh, and then uh, the end of the month, the last Sunday of the month, we're going to be launching a parent prayer group. So that's a prayer group for anybody who parents in any shape, way, shape, or form, or anyone who's thinking or praying about becoming a parent or uh, has young kids, older kids. Uh, that'll be a time to gather together in the children's church room at 9 and just pray for kids, pray for families, pray for our children's ministry, our student ministry. So that'll be starting this last Sunday in February. And then on the 19th, uh, the women's ministry, uh, while I was having a fireside chat uh, time of fellowship and, and preparation for Easter, and we'll be talking a bit about that more in a few moments here. Uh, but if you want a, more details on any of that stuff, you can check your bulletin, check the website, check the church app, uh, come talk to me after the service, answer, I'll answer any questions you have, um, but be uh, taking note of those things here this morning. As we get started in worship, our practice is just to spend a few moments together in just silent prayer uh, to prepare our hearts as we worship God and sit under his word. So take a few moments just silently in prayer in your own heart. Psalm 67, we read, May God be gracious to us and bless us, and make his face to shine upon us, that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God, let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon the earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God, let all the peoples praise you praise you. And gracious Father, that is our prayer this morning. Help us, let us uh, praise you, Lord, with full hearts, with humble hearts, with repentant hearts. Lord, forgive us for our sins and our errors. Forgive us for our idolatry, for all of the things we've looked at this week to trust in instead of you, all of the ways we've rebelled against your commands. Forgive us for these things as we uh, enter into this time of worship. Lord, give us uh, clean hands and pure hearts, Lord, uh, and help us as we hear your word, as we sing your words to one another, Lord, soften our hearts, open our eyes to the truth of your word, and help us to praise you in response for your glory and your grace, revealed ultimately in Christ, in whose name we pray, amen. Amen. Please stand and sing with us.
one and only Son to save. For God so loved the world that He gave us His one and only Son to save us. Whoever believes in Him will live forever. is waiting God so loved the world Ephesians 2 8 and 9 for it is by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not from yourselves it is the gift of God not by works so that no one can boast sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. was grace that taught my heart to fear and grace my fears relieved how precious did that grace appear the Mercy 
like snow the sun forbear to shine but god who called me here below will be forever mine will be You are forever mine. You may be seated. All right, well, it's that time. Once again, I want to invite uh, any kids up who are here, fifth grade and below. Any kids up or they're grown-ups, if they want to come up with them, they're welcome to as well. Um, Come on up, we're going to spend some time talking about our catechism this week. Good morning. Good morning. Hello, I know you. Um, All right, you guys, once again, we're looking at the catechism. We're on question number 23. 23. We are making our way through. We're almost halfway through the catechism. That's exciting, right? That's pretty cool. So, uh, before we get to our question, I have a question for you. Have you ever gotten sick ever in your life before? Yeah. Yeah? Have you ever gotten sick before? Yeah, you're good. Um, so when you get sick, who do you go to? What do you do when you get sick? Who do you go see? The doctor. The doctor, right? Now, why do you go see a doctor when you're sick? Yeah, right, because the doctor is a person who knows how to help you get better, right? A doctor is a person who has gone to school, gotten training, gotten certified to be able to prescribe medicine or do the things that they need to do to help you get better, right? When you're sick... You need somebody who has the expertise, who has the authority, the ability to help you get better, right? Yeah. Right? And so that um, is similar to uh, our catechism question today. We've been talking about Jesus as our redeemer, as our rescuer. And we've been talking about how in order to be our redeemer, our rescuer, Jesus needed to be both fully man and fully God. And we talked last week about how because Jesus is fully man, Uh, He could identify with us. He could come and be our substitute, be our representative. He could die in our place on the cross, take all of our sin, and take the punishment that we deserve as our representative, as our substitute. And this week our question is about why Jesus must be fully God. Why uh, must the Redeemer be truly God? And the answer is that because of his divine nature, uh, his obedience and suffering would be perfect and effective just like when you're sick, you need a doctor who's going to be effective, who can authoritatively and who has the expertise to, to treat you, to heal you. Uh, when it comes to our salvation, being made right with God, having a right relationship with God, we need a savior, we need a rescuer who has the expertise, who is able to perfectly and effectively save us. And so because Jesus is fully God, he's not just a man, he's fully 100% God. When he went and died on the cross for our sins, And when he rose again, we know that what he has accomplished for us in our salvation is perfect, it's effective. Because it wasn't just accomplished by a man, it was accomplished by God himself. Because Jesus is God, he had the power to lay his life down, to die on the cross. He had the power to take it up again, to rise again. And so he's able to effectively and perfectly save us. So when we trust in Jesus, we're not just trusting in another teacher or a moral example or a guy who did awesome miracles. We're trusting in the Son of God, Jesus, our Savior, our Redeemer, our Rescuer, who was 
fully God and fully man who could perfectly identify with us, take our place on the cross, die as our substitute, as our representative, but also could perfectly and effectively accomplish our salvation. And so we can trust in Jesus, and we know that if you trust in Jesus, if you look to him, your salvation, your rescue, your redemption, it's secure. It's not secure because anything we've done. It's secure because Jesus is our perfect Savior. He's our Redeemer, fully God and fully man. Does that make sense? Any questions about that? Questions, smart remarks, funny comments? Is that good? All right, well, let's pray to Jesus now. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you that you sent your Son to be our perfect rescue, our perfect Redeemer, to take on human flesh, to be fully man so he could identify with us and die in our place as our substitute, to be our representative, our mediator with you, uh, but also that he is fully God, that he is perfect and effective and sufficient as our Savior, that he did for us what we can never do for ourselves, that he died and rose again to bring us redemption, to bring us salvation if we trust in him. So help us to rest in him, to believe in him, and, and to share this good news with more people, that Jesus is both God and man, that he is our Redeemer, our Rescuer, our Savior. So we pray in his name. Amen. Amen. All right, well, we're going to go now to Children's Church. We're going to go with Mr. and Mrs. Pixton. So follow them. Go out to Children's Church. And then I'm going to talk to some grown-ups now here. Um, so I want to invite uh, my lovely wife, Laura, and Amanda to come on up uh, to talk a little bit more about this uh, wild fireside chat happening on the 19th. So here, this is live, so be careful. Got a hot mic there. Um, <laughs> nice. Wow. So first, maybe uh, could each of you just introduce yourselves and tell us how long you've been a part of the Weymouth family here? Uh, sure. I'm Amanda Smith, and I've been coming since about 2016. Okay. And who are you connected to? Oh, yes. My husband is Chris Smith, um, Jr. Yeah. He's not here today. He's actually helping out at another church. Oh, nice. um, but uh, I've been a part of the WOW ministry since, I think, 2018. Okay. I really enjoyed it. It's just a fun way to fellowship with other ladies. And mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. so, yeah, we're excited about the next event, and we can talk about that. Yeah. <laughs> and then who are you? Who are you connected to? My name is Laura Durbin. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes I claim him and the two little blonde curly girls mm -hmm. running around, um, yeah. Riley and Lily. Um, and we've been coming here nine months. Approximately? A little over nine months, yeah. Um, yeah, a little over nine months. Yeah. And I just joined the WOW team like a couple months ago. Nice. So it's good fun. So my first question for you is, why are Chris's the best people to be married to? <laughs> because the name literally means follower of Christ. There you go. You can't, yeah, yeah. can't get better than that. Christ. You can't beat it. So sorry, everyone else. <laughs> there you go. That's awesome. Uh, second question, when we talk about WOW, what does that stand for? What is this WOW ministry? What does that mean? Yeah, it actually just stands for Women of Weymouth. Look at that. That's nice. <laughs> if, you did, if you did for men's ministry, it'd be Mao. Yeah. <laughs> Doesn't have the same ring to it. It's not as good men of Weymouth. Yeah, Women of Weymouth. I like that. That works out really, really well. That was convenient. I didn't come up with that. That precedes me, so that's, that's yeah, really I'm good. I'm not sure who came up with that. Yeah, it's just one of those things. <laughs> that's great. So the wow. And so then tell me about this event we're doing on the 19th, this fireside chat. What's, what's going to happen? What's the purpose of it? What's going on? What are the details? Yeah, so um, I don't want to. Okay. Um, so it's next Sunday evening, um, 4 to 6 p.m. here at Weymouth, and um, it's just simply called a fireside chat. Really, that is um, 
just a gathering of ladies um, ages 9 to 99. It's an opportunity for us just to get together and have fun, share community. Um, there will also be food. Um, so just kind of some light snacks um, and refreshments. Um, and then we will also kind of um, prepare our hearts for Easter. There's going to be some information that's handed out that we'll hmm. talk about. Um, so it's, it should be a good time. We hope that you can come and. Mm -hmm. um, so we're going to do some icebreaker questions to try to get to know each other a little bit more and maybe get to know some facts about each other that we didn't previously know. So if you feel like there's some people, some women in the church you haven't gotten to know yet and would like to get to know them, it'll be a really great time for that. Maybe get to know some people you don't know, get to know people that you already know a little bit better in a different setting. Um, and we really just want to make sure that everyone knows that all of the women of Weymouth are included in that, any age. So we're saying 9 to 99. So basically anyone but, you know, the tiny, tiny people. Um, so um, we just want to make sure that all of the young ladies that are wonderful in our church know that they're included in this as well, and that we want to get to know you too. Um, yeah, so we'll have just light snacks, and we'll get to know each other in a different way, and then um, we're going to talk a little bit about how to look for the ways that God is working in our lives and in our hearts um, the days leading up to Easter. And then we'll have a follow-up event about that later. So if you'd like to get to know um, the other women of Weymouth a little bit more, and if you'd like to see some opportunities to look for God in our lives together, it would be a good opportunity for that as well. Bless you, lovely woman of Weymouth. <laughs> there you go. So, you know, elementary age girls, middle school age girls, high school girls, say 9 to 99, just yeah. all are welcome. If you're 100, too bad. That's the cutoff. Yeah, too bad. No, just kidding. Can't come hang out by the fireplace. Uh, Is this something uh, ladies should sign up for ahead of time or just show up day of? Um, so we'd like you to sign up just so we know how many snacks to bring. Um, there's two ways to sign up. You can either sign up at the welcome desk right behind the sound booth here, right around the door. Um, or you can sign up on the app. And if you have any questions about how to do that, please come see one of the three of us. We can help you sign up on the app. Or Jen would be another person to see about that. Um, but if you forget to sign up and you're like, oh, no, I didn't sign up. Can I still come? Yes, you can still come. It's just to give us a little bit more of an idea of how many, how many snacks to bring. Yeah, and if you've downloaded that Church Center app, um, there's a little button at the bottom that just says sign-ups, and that's the place you go to to see all the upcoming events or places to sign up and register. I got a question about that this week, so I just want to clarify. Just look down at the bottom, little button that says sign-ups, that's the place to go within the app. If you go to our website, you just scroll down to the bottom of the page where upcoming events are, and the registration link is right there. So, And there's an old-school paper and pen at the back table, if, if that's what you prefer, I guess. Um, <laughs> I didn't mean that to sound sarcastic. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't mean to be throwing shade on people who like pens and papers. I like pens and papers, too. So my apologies. But, uh, yeah, anything else you'd want to add about this event? Any other? If people have questions, come talk to us. Yeah. Right? Should they talk to me or you? Probably you, right? Yeah. yeah talk no. to one of us. Yeah. Talk to, the, not the Chris's, but. Anyone on the WOW wives. team? Yeah. Uh, maybe raise your hand if you're on the WOW team. You know that you can come visit one of those um, lovely yeah. Women of Weymouth. Yeah. I think it, it's really neat that or, that it's called the WOW team. Because once you spend time with the women of Weymouth, you go home and you think, wow, yes. that was a great time together. I saw <laughs> or, that one coming. 
<laughs> I wasn't excited about it. Um, <laughs> well, that's really cool. Well, thank you guys. Yeah, um, thank you. And thank you to all the ladies who are helping put that event together, planning it, and all the different things we do uh, with, with the WOW ministry. Thank you for the time, the effort, the, the leadership you show in that. Uh, would it be all right if I just prayed for the event, for the WOW ministry? No? All right, I won't. Um, no, let, let, me, let me pray for us. Um, well, God, thank you for this opportunity next week for, for women to gather and to fellowship and to think and prepare for Easter. Uh, we thank you for this ministry, for uh, the, the leaders on this team who, who plan these events and put this work in, who lead studies and um, spend time with, with ladies. And, and we just pray that this will be a fruitful time, that you'll continue to grow uh, the women of this church uh, any age uh, in Christ, grow them in your word and, and in our unity and our fellowship together, Lord. Uh, we just thank you for all the service and the sacrifice that goes into these kinds of things. We pray that it will be honoring to you and that it will glorify you and bring more, uh, more ladies closer to yourself. And we pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Thank you guys for coming up. And if anybody wants to get this Mao ministry off the ground, just come see me afterwards. All right? Uh, but now we'll, uh, we'll stand and we'll sing another song together. and freedom my steadfast love my deep and boundless peace to this I hold my hope is only Jesus for my life is wholly bound to his oh how strange and divine I can sing all is mine yet not I but through Christ in me the night is dark but I am not forsaken for by my side the Savior he will stay I labor on in weakness and rejoicing for in my need his power is displayed to this i hold my shepherd will defend me through the deepest valley he will lead oh the night has been won and i shall overcome yet not i but through christ in me sure the price it has been paid for Jesus bled and suffered for my pardon and he was raised to overthrow the grave to this I hold my sin has been defeated Jesus now and ever is my plea the chains are released i can sing i am free yet not i but through 
Christ in me. With every breath I long to follow Jesus, for he has said that he will bring me home. And day by day I know he will renew me until I stand with joy before the throne. To this I hold, my hope is only Jesus. complete till my lips shall repeat yet not I but through Christ in me when the race is complete still my lips shall repeat yet not I but through Christ in me yet not I but through Christ in me you may be seated Good morning. I'm Dave, one of the elders here. I have the privilege to read the scripture. Turn over to, if you will, to Mark 6, 1 through 13. He went away, that's Jesus, went away from there and came to his hometown, and his disciples followed him. And on the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many who heard him were astonished, saying, where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, and brother of James, and Joseph, and Judas, and Simeon, or Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. And Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his relatives and in his own household. And he could do no mighty work there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. And he called the twelve and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not put on two tunics. And he said to them, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. And if any place will not receive you, and they will not listen to you, when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. Let's pray. 
Father, thank you for your word. Infallible, inerrant. All that we need for life and godliness, Father, you have provided for us in Jesus, the living word, and in your written word. Thank you. And now open our ears and to listen as pastor opens this passage. Open our hearts to respond and help us, Father, to love you and to serve you. Help us in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for reading that, Dave. So we're continuing on in our series here in Mark, in Mark chapter 6. And uh, as I was reading this week, I was thinking about how it can be a strange thing uh, returning to your hometown. I don't know if you've ever had that experience of uh, coming home from a long trip and going through that re-entry process, which can uh, not always be the, the funnest thing, coming back home, back to reality. Um, or if you've ever experienced, you know, being away for a longer period of time, you know, being away for, for a number of years and returning to your hometown. I remember uh, the first time I came home from college, from Cedarville, and returned home to, to Shaker, to my parents' house after uh, the first semester. I remember that feeling of of strangeness, you know, it was, it was exciting to be home, to see your friends, and to feel that, you know, familiar environment, to be around familiar places and people, uh, but there's also a strangeness, because it seems different, right, it seemed a little different, there was a, a different feel to it, things that used to feel huge and big now felt maybe a little bit smaller, um, and the difference wasn't necessarily that uh, my house had changed or that our hometowns changed, but sometimes the difference is, is that we change, that, that we go out and have new experiences and we grow and we change and when we come back and we can experience a strange mix of, of familiarity uh, and strangeness as we return to our home towns. And I was thinking about that because this kind of familiarity and strangeness uh, is something that, that Jesus seems to experience here in Mark 6 as he returns to his hometown. Jesus returns with his disciples to his hometown of Nazareth, where he grew up in Galilee, but he doesn't return just as a carpenter, just as the son of Mary. Jesus returns with his disciples. He returns as uh, one who has healed the sick and has been casting out demons, who's been traveling around, uh, preaching and proclaiming that the kingdom of God has arrived, that people should repent and believe the gospel. And so this is no ordinary homecoming. This isn't just a kid coming home from college. Jesus is returning home as part of his ministry, and Jesus' reception by his hometown, it's not festive, it's not warm, it's surprising, it's shocking even. And so when Jesus returns to his hometown, what we see happen in this text is we see Jesus, he marvels at unbelief, and he mobilizes his disciples. That's what happens. That's the, the theme of our text this morning is Jesus marvels at unbelief and he mobilizes his disciples. So first we'll look at the first six verses at how uh, Christ marvels at unbelief and then we'll look at the second part at how he mobilizes his disciples. So first Christ marvels at unbelief as he returns to his hometown. Because after his miraculous ministry in and around Galilee, in places like Capernaum, this miraculous ministry that uh, reached its, its uh, peak in the healing of Jairus' daughter from the dead, which we looked at last week after this miraculous uh, string of ministry and healing and events, Jesus, he returns to Nazareth, returns to, with his disciples to his hometown. 
And because at this point his reputation as a teacher, as a healer, has grown, he's invited to, uh, to teach in the synagogue on the Sabbath. And so he goes and he teaches in his hometown synagogue, and the people are amazed. The people are astonished. But this wasn't the good kind of astonishment. This wasn't you know, pride and wonder at this hometown kid who's suddenly this public speaker, this great teacher. Mark tells us that the hometown crowd in Nazareth actually took offense at Jesus. They were offended by his teaching and his ministry. Now, at my previous church, when I was doing youth ministry, uh, I had the chance to work with a guy who had been the chaplain, the basketball chaplain at St. Vincent St. Mary High School when LeBron James was there in the early 2000s. And this guy, he has a great story he tells where the first time he met LeBron and saw LeBron in the gym as a freshman, he thought, this kid's not going to make it, right? He, he saw LeBron and he thought, okay, here's this super tall, skinny guy, and he thought, he thought he wasn't strong enough. He thought he wasn't big enough. He thought he was too skinny to make the most of his talent. Uh, now, of course, LeBron went on to win multiple championships and break the all-time scoring record and, and you know, be one of the greatest players of all time. But it's a funny thing when you have somebody uh, that you see grow up when you have somebody that you're familiar with, that you know, that you see as a skinny kid, and then all of a sudden, that kid is, is taking on the world. It can be a strange, almost disorienting kind of thing. And we see this kind of thing happening with the people of Nazareth. Nazareth, Because they see Jesus come home, they hear his teaching, and they're astonished by it. And they say, where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, and brother of James, and Joseph, and Judas, and Simon? Are not his sisters here with us? They're basically saying, wasn't this that skinny kid in the gym? Wasn't this that kid that used to work in Joseph's shop? Don't we know his mother and his siblings? Who is he to teach us with such authority? Where did he get this power to do such mighty work? People are shocked and amazed by Jesus because they had been intimately familiar with Jesus and his family. They had watched him grow up. And so they were astonished at his teaching, not in the sense that they were amazed by him or proud of him the way Akron in Northeast Ohio was proud of someone like LeBron. They were amazed and astonished by him in more of a, a way that they were shocked. They were offended. How dare someone who we know act like this, do these things, say these things, Right, Jesus, he wasn't a trained rabbi. He, he, he grew up the son of a carpenter. He was just a normal, everyday guy that they knew, that they had seen, that they had watched grow up. He had no special training. He was the son of Mary. Some of the people in Nazareth were probably aware of Jesus' birth story, of the fact that Mary got pregnant with Jesus before she was fully married to Joseph. So who is this guy? Who is this person to come and teach with such authority like a rabbi, to do such miracles like a prophet. Where did he get this power? Where did he get this authority? It didn't make sense to them. Uh, Jesus, you know, they knew him. They saw him grow up. How could he do these things? How could he say these things? It was disorienting. It was confusing because Jesus wasn't just a hometown boy who grew up and got famous. Jesus was a man who they knew who was doing and claiming and saying things that only God could do. In his teaching, in his healing, Jesus was claiming a divine authority to call people to repentance, to declare the coming of God's kingdom, to restore the broken. 
And the idea that the skinny kid from Joseph's shop would be doing this, the idea that this person that they had grown up with was doing and saying these sorts of things, was claiming this kind of divine prerogative, it didn't make sense to the people of Nazareth. And so instead of accepting him in awe, they reject the authority and the teaching of Jesus. And Jesus sees this and he responds, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his relatives and in his own household. Now this phrase he uses here is likely a a known phrase, a phrase that was used to talk about prophets, to talk about philosophers. You know, it was a a well-known saying similar to one we might use today, such as uh, familiarity breeds contempt. Familiarity breeds contempt. And in invoking this phrase, that a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown, Jesus, he's uh, connecting himself to the legacy and the calling of the prophets in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, we read in places like Jeremiah 12 how the prophets of God were often rejected by their people, by the people of God, by their own family, so to speak. In Jeremiah 12, the Lord, he responds to a complaint from the prophet Jeremiah, and he reminds Jeremiah that even your brothers in the house of your father, even they have dealt treacherously with you. They are in full cry after you. This was the experience of many of the prophets like Jeremiah, and this was Jesus' experience. We saw just a few chapters ago in Mark how when Jesus' family heard about his ministry, they came to collect him. They came to restrain him and take him home because they thought he was crazy. And now that Jesus has come home, he has returned to his hometown in Nazareth, now the people are crying out against him. Now people are in full cry after him. They are offended by him. They reject his message. In Luke's parallel account of this scene in his gospel, he takes it even further. He describes how the people of Nazareth actually try and kill Jesus. They try and run Jesus off a cliff because he is claiming to be the fulfillment of the prophets, because he claims that God's salvation is coming to the Gentiles as well as the Jews. So Jesus doesn't receive a warm reception in his hometown. He is rejected. His message and his ministry are rejected. A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown. And this is important to see in the context of Mark because what we've been seeing as we've gone through this gospel is that Jesus has been met with a variety of responses as he's been ministering uh, during this first uh, ministry throughout Galilee. And Mark has been highlighting the distinction between people who respond to Jesus with faith and those who respond to him with hostility or rejection. And unfortunately, at this point in the narrative, the people in Jesus' own hometown, even his own family members, have responded to Jesus with offense and with rejection. And so Mark tells us that Jesus marveled at their unbelief. He marveled. He was astonished by their unbelief. And this is significant because as we've walked through Jesus' ministry in Mark, as we've seen him teach with authority, as we've seen him heal and cast out demons, we've heard again and again how people marveled at Jesus. They were amazed by him. They were astonished by him. They were even afraid of him because of his power and his authority and his miracles and his teaching. But here in verse 6, this is the first time in Mark's gospel where we're told that Jesus was amazed by something that Jesus marveled at something. And he didn't marvel at a miracle. What makes Jesus marvel was unbelief. What made Jesus astonished was the unbelief of these people. 
Because when faced with the, when faced with the unbelief, with the rejection of people who perhaps knew him better than anyone else, Jesus is astonished. He's amazed to the point where he's unable to do any great works in their midst because of their lack of faith. You see, the people, with, the people of Nazareth, they were so familiar with Jesus' humanity that the idea that he could be divine, that he is God, that he's somebody worthy of faith and trust and worship, it didn't make sense to them. They rejected it. They rejected Christ himself. Their familiarity bred rejection. And I wonder if the same is not sometimes true in the church. Not exactly in the same way, of course, as the people of Nazareth, but as a pastor, I've had conversations with lots of people in the church who are so comfortable with Jesus, so familiar with Jesus, or at least a certain picture of Jesus, that uh, they actually lose or forget that we're meant to be amazed by Jesus. We're meant to marvel at him. We're meant to wonder at him as the people have been doing again and again in Mark's gospel. For many who've grown up in the church, Jesus is merely a superstitious or fairy tale-like figure. He's someone to turn to uh, in the midst of troubles, but he's someone who makes no actual demands on your life. He's a picture you put on your wall. He's somebody you talk about at Christmas and Easter. He's someone you pray to when you're really stressed out. But he's not your Lord. He's not your Savior. He's not somebody who's demanding everything from you, who is truly worthy of your faith and your worship. I wonder sometimes if we're so familiar, if we're so comfortable with this simplified hometown picture of Jesus. Because if Jesus is just a sentimental Savior, if he's just a superstitious symbol, if he's just a trite tradition in our lives, or if he's uh, just a... uh, therapeutic genie that we've grown up with, then that picture of Jesus is one that is easy to dismiss, is one that is even easy to reject or cast off. But if Jesus truly is the one who is both fully human and fully divine, who truly has all authority to defeat the forces of evil, to call disciples to command even death itself, if we take the biblical witness of Jesus seriously, that he is someone to marvel at, that he is someone worthy of our worship and our trust, that he is someone to give our lives to, to cling to as the only way to God. If we look to that biblical witness and take it seriously, then that biblical picture of Jesus is not so easily dismissed. That biblical picture of Jesus is not so easily rejected. And so the question is, where does your understanding of Jesus come from? Are you, uh, do you know Jesus only as a familiar, comfortable, trite, traditional, fairy tale like symbol or figure that you grew up with? Or do you take your knowledge of Jesus from the pages of Scripture as, he, as God has revealed him to us, as he has revealed himself to us, as one with infinite authority and infinite compassion, <coughs> as one who has power over life and death, who is both God and man? as one who cannot be dismissed, but at whose name one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Do you look to the biblical witness and see that Jesus is one to marvel at, to put our faith in, one who is worth living and dying for? Are you too comfortable with Jesus? Are you too familiar with Jesus? Do you need to take a look again at the pages of Scripture and be shocked 
by how majestic, by how marvelous, by how awesome his deeds and his word and his mission and his person and his salvation are. Because this is the question that Mark is posing for us in his gospel. In contrasting these different responses to Jesus, he's, he's asking us that as you read this revelation of who Jesus is, how will you respond? Will you simplify Jesus? Will you sentimentalize Jesus? Will you politicize Jesus? Will you reject Jesus? Or will you put your faith in Jesus? Will you come to him in humility and awe? Will you trust him, submit to him, give your life to him, take up your cross and follow him? Because proximity to Christ doesn't guarantee faith in Christ. These people in Nazareth had grown up with Jesus, known him his whole life. Even his family rejected him, at least at this point in Mark's gospel. Proximity to Christ doesn't guarantee faith in Christ. You're not a Christian because you grew up in a Christian family, because you celebrate Christmas and Easter, because you go to a Christian church. What makes you a Christian, a follower of Christ, is that you have heard the prophetic announcement that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, he has come to call sinners into God's kingdom. And you've responded to that announcement with repentance and faith in Christ. So have you done that? Is that how you responded to Jesus? Or have you rejected him? Or have you put him on a shelf and cast him aside? How have you responded to Christ? Because the response of repentance and faith, this response to who Jesus is, to to the biblical witness of Jesus, and marveling and awe and trust, it doesn't leave us where we are. It changes us. It leads us out on his mission. So do you see that in your own life? Are you embracing that? Because trusting in Christ, responding to him with repentance and faith, it leads us to live our lives in obedience to Christ, to give ourselves to his mission, and even to be rejected for him just as he was rejected for us, to experience the rejection that comes along with the mission of Christ. So this brings us to the second part of the text in which Christ mobilizes his disciples. He marvels at unbelief and he mobilizes his disciples. Because after being rejected in his hometown, Jesus goes and he travels around the other villages in Galilee. And he's teaching and he's proclaiming. And then he calls his 12 disciples and he sends them out two by two. And he gives them his authority over unclean spirits and he tells them to take nothing but a staff and sandals with them. Now, this is important because back in chapter 3, we, re- we read about how Jesus, he called 12 men to himself, men he called apostles, which means sent ones, sent ones. And he called these 12 men to himself for two reasons. And we read this in chapter 3, verses 14 through 15. Jesus called these disciples so that they might be with him and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. And throughout these last three chapters in Mark, we've seen the first part of that. We've seen Jesus spending time with his disciples, being with them, traveling with them, living with them, doing life with them. And now we come to the second part of this call to discipleship, this sending out for Jesus, being sent out for him. Jesus, he takes these 12 men and he sends them out as his apostles. He sends them out in his authority as his representatives to go and and heal people and preach and cast out demons. And it's notable, first of all, that Jesus sends the apostles out in pairs. And this reminds us of the importance of community, of fellowship as we go out in ministry. 
But this also had a, a cultural significance, likely, because in the first century culture in which Jesus and his disciples lived, uh, a legal witness to a testimony, uh, a legal testimony in court, it needed to be verified, it needed to be affirmed by at least two witnesses. If you're in a courtroom in the first century in Galilee, you needed two witnesses to come and confirm your testimony. And so by sending these disciples out two by two in pairs, Jesus is sending them out as, as witnessing pairs to give a verifiable testimony to the announcement of God's kingdom. Because remember, back in chapter 1, Jesus began his ministry with the announcement that, G that God's kingdom is at hand, that people should repent and believe the gospel. And then if we jump ahead to verse 12 here in chapter 3, we see that the disciples themselves were proclaiming that people should repent. They were going around proclaiming the same announcement, the same message that Jesus preached, that the kingdom of God is at hand, so you should repent and believe the gospel. And so by sending them out in pairs, Jesus was sending these apostles out as verifiable witnesses to the testimony that this announcement is real, that they have seen Jesus the King do things that only God could do, that they have heard him proclaim things that only God can proclaim, that repentance and faith are available, that restoration is available for all who trust in Christ, that something has happened, that Christ has come, and he is ushering in God's kingdom. And so Jesus sends his disciples out to proclaim this testimony, to witness to this announcement. And as he does so, he gives them his authority to cast out demons. He gives them his power as his representatives. So that, like Jesus, they can back up this message, they can back up this testimony with uh, powerful works, with miracles that certify the divine authority of this message. These miracles, these healings, they weren't an end in themselves, but they were meant to affirm the message, the proclamation that the disciples carried and announced. And so the apostles, they're sent out as Christ's witnesses. They're proclaiming Christ's message and they're trusting in Christ's authority. And Jesus' instruction to them as they go is to take uh, nothing but a staff and sandals, to take no bag, no food, um, to trust in Christ's power and not their own. His instruction here is a reminder that as they go out on God's mission, they should go trusting in God's providence, in God to provide places for them to stay, things for them to eat. And as a side note, as we read this, we want to recognize that this initial sending here in Mark 6 was a temporary one. The disciples are going to return at the end of chapter 6. This was like a short-term mission trip. This was a, an opportunity for the disciples to be sent out for the first time. It was an initial sending that anticipated a, a greater mission to come. And so we want to be careful here to see the specifics of Christ's instructions to the disciples in this scene, uh, to see, you know, as he tells them, don't take bread, don't take money, don't take a bag. We want to see that these are, uh, in some way, a specific commands to this particular mission, this mission that likely contains an instructive element for the disciples. And we want to see that because what we want to say is that as we go about ministry in the church, as we go out on the mission of Christ, uh, this passage isn't telling us that it's wrong for us to take food or money or luggage, right, as we go out on God's mission. When I went to India in 2018, you know, I took, you know, I took, we took some currency, we took luggage, we took food, I took a bunch of granola bars and protein bars in case the food there was too spicy. Spoiler alert, it was. Um, <laughs> But I really liked it. I actually really like Indian food now. Um, 
right? So that wasn't wrong. It's okay to do that. This is a particular uh, instance, a particular uh, mission here in Mark 6, but there is a greater principle at work here, a greater principle at work that we want to trust in, that uh, as we go out in ministry, as we go out on the mission of God, we are ultimately relying not on ourselves, but on God's provision, on God's sovereignty. As we go out on the mission of Christ, whether locally or globally, we are always called to go not trusting in our own power and our own strength and our own sufficiency, but trusting in God's goodness, in his grace, in his power, in his sovereignty. As we seek to go and have gospel conversations with our neighbors, as we invite people into our homes, as we serve in our community, as we face the risk of rejection or pain, we do none of that in our own strength, but in the power of the Holy Spirit if we are in Christ. We do it trusting in God to provide, looking for him to work through us and to provide for us. And we see this at the end of Matthew's gospel, where the risen Christ, he once again sends out his disciples. But this time he's not sending them out on a temporary mission. He's sending them out on the mission, the calling. He's giving them the great commission. We read in Matthew 28 that Christ, he tells his disciples, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. My favorite part is I read those words in Matthew 28, the Great Commission. My favorite part is the, the alls, the alls that you see repeated throughout. Jesus says, all authority in heaven has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. See, even as Christ, as he mobilizes this, his disciples for this great commission, for this great mission, he reminds them that they go trusting in his authority, that he's the one who has all authority. They go resting in his presence, that he will be with them always through his spirit. And this is their provision as they go in Mark 6 and in Matthew 28. And this is the provision for disciples of Christ today as we go out on his mission, as we ourselves obey this great commission, that we go in his authority proclaiming his message to all people and instructing and providing instruction to those who believe, teaching them all the things that Christ has commanded in his word and resting in the comfort of his continual presence as we go, as we face rejection, as we face persecution. Because this provision is really important. This authority, this comfort is really important, not in ourselves, but in Christ. Because as we go out on the mission for Christ, like Christ, we too will face rejection and hostility. Jesus makes this clear to his disciples. He tells them, if a place will not receive you and they will not listen to you, then when you leave, shake off the dust of your feet as a testimony against them. Jesus here, he's telling his disciples as they go to anticipate rejection, to anticipate rejection. They're going to be relying on the hospitality of, of strangers as they go to these different villages. But he says, if you go to a place, to a town that, out, that so completely rejects you that they don't even give you a place to stay, he says, then leave, move on, and sh shake the dust off your feet as you go. And that's kind of an interesting expression, right? This idea of shaking the dust off your feet as you leave a place. And uh, it would have come from, it would have 
sounded familiar to the disciples because this would have sounded a lot like the, the practice in their day of, of a pious Jewish person who, uh, if they went and spent time in a pagan Gentile city, uh, would often, before returning to their home city, they would uh, spend time meticulously uh, removing any sand, any dust from their clothes or their sandals before they entered into Jerusalem or entered into their hometown. And they would do this as a symbol of uh, removing the impurity of the pagan city that they had been in before coming back into the city of God. This was an idea culturally in Judaism, and there's also, there's also uh, Old Testament imagery connected in this idea of shaking off the dust from your feet. In Nehemiah 5.13, we read about how after calling God's people to stop oppressing the poor, Nehemiah, he shook the fold of his garment, and he said to them, So may God shake out every man from his house and from his labor who does not keep this promise. So may he be shaken out and emptied. And so Jesus here, he's calling the disciples to shake off the dust of their feet. He's tapping into these cultural and prophetic images. And he's doing so to make the point that those who reject the disciples, who reject the message that the disciples carry, that they are setting themselves up for judgment. In Matthew's account of this instruction, Christ declares to his disciples, Truly I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. Sodom and Gomorrah, the two most notorious examples of God's judgment on a particular city in the Old Testament. Jesus is saying, it'll be worse for these towns that reject you on the day of judgment. Because these disciples are carrying the announcement that God's kingdom is at hand, that God's salvation is available in Christ. And so to reject this announcement is to uh, usher in God's judgment. It's to receive the judgment of God. When people reject the disciples, this isn't merely a personal rejection. It's the rejection of God himself, of the salvation he brings in Christ. And this is important to see because one of the things that often holds us back from evangelism, from sharing our faith, from going out on the mission of Christ, one of the things that holds us back is the fear of rejection. Fear of rejection. But Christ here, he prepares his disciples for this. He prepares them for the reality of rejection. He tells them to anticipate it. But he also makes it clear that if people do reject them, they're actually rejecting him. That when disciples are rejected or persecuted, they are sharing in the rejection and the persecution that Christ himself experienced. Think of the apostles in the book of Acts who are sent, you know, arrested and and stand before the governors and authorities and then they leave and they go rejoicing that they were granted the privilege of suffering, of sharing in Christ's suffering. Jesus identifies with us in the midst of rejection and persecution because he himself was rejected. He himself was persecuted. Jesus himself was rejected in his hometown, so why would we expect to have it any easier in our hometown? Jesus himself was ultimately rejected and sent to be crucified by his own people. So why would we think that carrying out, going, and being a part of his mission would not involve taking up our own crosses, experiencing our own rejection, our own persecution for the sake of his mission? Rejection is part of the mission. It's something to expect. It's something to anticipate. But it's something we can endure in Christ because we know that he experienced it first. 
He experienced it in Nazareth. He experienced it in Jerusalem. He experienced it at the cross. And it was actually through that rejection on the cross, through the death and suffering where Jesus himself experienced the ultimate rejection of God's wrath for us. It was through that that God's ultimate mission was fulfilled in Christ. That people, that sinners can be brought into God's kingdom because Jesus was rejected. He was cast out in our place so we could be brought in. We could be welcomed in to God's family, into God's kingdom. And so while we may experience earthly rejection, we may experience earthly persecution, we do so knowing that in Christ we are perfectly and eternally accepted. We are perfectly secure. We are empowered with God's authority, with the Holy Spirit, with his presence. We are united with Christ. So if we are rejected, he is rejected. And we have communion with the one who was rejected for us, who strengthens us in the midst of rejection and persecution. Rejection is part of the mission, but it is by risking this rejection, by risking this hostility, that we honor Christ. We obey his command to go. We participate in his mission. And we give other people the chance to hear this announcement and to turn in repentance and faith to find life and restoration in Christ. In his book, uh, Honest Evangelism, Rico Tice, he writes that if we go and share our faith, we will be met with hostility. We will be met with hostility and rejection. But we will also be met with hunger. We will be met with people who are hungry, who are desperate, who are searching for the life and the restoration that only Christ can bring. And so the call of Christ is to go and witness to this healing and this restoration proclaim this announcement that Christ has come and been rejected for us to call sinners into God's kingdom. That life and restoration are available in him. And as we go out on this mission, as we go and experience this hostility and seek out this hunger, we do so trusting in his power and his authority and his provision, even in the face of rejection. As Rico writes in his book, He says, our job is not to convert people. It is to witness to Christ. Conversion isn't the mark of a successful witness. Witnessing is. Think about a courtroom. Witnesses are there to tell the truth. That's successful witness. If the jury doesn't believe them, that's not their fault or their failure. You have not failed if you explain the gospel and are rejected. You have failed if you don't try. Let me read that again. You have not failed if you explain the gospel and are rejected. You have failed if you don't try. Conversion isn't the mark of successful witness. Witnessing is. Our calling is not to change people's hearts. Our calling is to go and witness Christ, to trust God to soften hard hearts, to trust God to open blind eyes. And so this is our mission, church. This is our mission to go and proclaim Christ to call people to repentance and faith, to invite them to marvel at the one who is infinitely worthy of our trust and our praise and our obedience, and to trust in his provision to bring about the results of this witness, trust in his provision to change people's hearts, to lead them to faith, to trust in the provision, the sovereignty, the goodness of God, to go and risk the hostility to discover the hunger, to go and risk rejection, for the sake of the mission. So will we go?
how will we respond? Will we go in faith? Will we go trusting in God's provision? Will we step out into this community? Will we step out into this mission and face rejection, knowing the acceptance and the hope that we have in Christ? Let's pray. Faithful Father, we humble ourselves before your word and we ask you to apply it to our hearts by your spirit, Lord. Open, open our own eyes to the needs around us, the opportunities for mission around us. Help us to marvel and wonder at who Christ is, at the salvation he brings, and to step out into the mission that he has called us to, and to do so trusting in your provision and your goodness, to do so even risking hostility and rejection, knowing that we are secure and accepted in Christ that he himself was rejected, he himself suffered for us in our place. So grow us in our communion with Gru and grow us in our conviction uh, to go out and be witnesses and to proclaim the truth and the hope of Christ, Lord. And remind us of the, the power in which we go, of the authority that has been given to Christ as the Son of God, our Savior. And help us to rest in his continual presence by your Spirit and the comfort and the joy and the peace that he brings. Help us to go, Lord, in Christ's name, for your glory. Amen. Amen. All right, please stand and sing one final song with us. Say hi to some people, and just a reminder that uh, if you haven't signed up for this Friday for the uh, all-nighter, if you haven't signed up yet for the fireside chat uh, next Sunday, you can do so out there in the lobby or online or on the Church Center app. If you have any questions, you can come talk to me, talk to Laura, Amanda. I'm really glad you're here. We're really excited for what God has for us as a church as we continue to think through this mission, this ministry that we have together in Christ. So please bow with me for a word of benediction. Now may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit 
but with you all now and forever. Amen. Amen. Go in peace.